0: Nothing like the St. Matthew's Choir that gets me excited about preaching. I don't know what it is, but they just, y'all just get me fired up. Y'all just get me fired up. The Gospel lesson this morning is from the third chapter of Matthew. i invite you to stand as we hear about the baptism of Jesus. Beginning in the thirteenth verse, hear the word of the Lord this morning. Then Jesus arrived from Galilee at the Jordan, coming to John to be baptized by him. But John tried to prevent him, saying, I have need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? But Jesus answering said to him, Permit it at this time, for in this way it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he permitted him. And after being baptized, Jesus went up immediately from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending as a dove and coming upon him. And behold, a voice out of the heavens saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. This is the word of God for you, the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. We jump very quickly this Sunday uh, in the life of Jesus. Last week was Epiphany and we saw, uh, we, you know, we still had our Christmas decorations up. We still had the wise men and the, uh, and the shepherds out on the lawn. and We were still celebrating the days of Christmas. Celebrating Epiphany. Now as we come to the baptism of the Lord Sunday, we jump very quickly in the life of Jesus. Uh, probably some 29, 30 years. We know very little of Jesus' younger years outside of a few references uh, when he was a teenager. We jump in the Bible from when he was a little baby until he was ready for ministry. Until he was ready to do what God had called him to do. We're introduced to this interesting character called John the Baptist. The cousin of Jesus, as Jennifer uh, told the children this morning. This interesting character. And as I was thinking about uh, about what Jennifer was saying and talking about John the Baptist, this image, this cartoon, came to mind. Y'all may need to help me, but there's this cartoon of Stone Age people, and all I can think of is they have feet and arms and eyes, and it's just a ball of fur. Anybody know what I'm talking about? No, no. You what? What's it called? What is it? BC. BC. In my mind, that's what John the Baptist looked like. Don't don't know where that came from, but I mean, some wild, shaggy-haired man ate locusts and wild honey coming out of the wilderness to preach. The kingdom of God. God is near. Repent and be baptized for your sins. Repent and be baptized because Jesus is coming. And as John is preaching this gospel to the people, and as people are coming to the river Jordan and being baptized and repenting of their sins, all of a sudden Jesus appears on the scene. And Jesus comes up to John, and and we don't hear it here in Matthew, but basically says, John, I need to be baptized by you. Now, I don't know what you would have thought, but if, if I would have been John the Baptist and Jesus would have come up to me and said, "You need to baptize me." I would have I would have been, "Whoa, wait a second here, Jesus. No, no, you got this all. This got all wrong. You got to reverse." I mean, he was probably just thinking about the words that he had just been preaching to the Pharisees. When he was saying, "Listen, I'm baptizing with water, but there's someone coming after me. There's someone coming Ahead of, I'm going ahead of him. He is, I am not even worthy to tie his sandals. He is so far above me that I'm not even worthy to touch his feet. And you think I'm baptizing you with water. Listen, he's coming and he's baptizing you with someone else. He's going to baptize you in the Holy Spirit. And if you're not right with God, if you're not right in your relationship, he's going to baptize you with something else and it ain't going to be fun. He's coming with fire too. So John, I'm sure, is just remembering those words. And then here comes Jesus. And said, Jesus saying, John, you need to baptize me. What? Now, wait a second. What are you talking about, Jesus? I don't need to baptize you. You need to baptize me. I want the Holy Spirit. I want what you have for me. Why would Jesus come to be baptized by John? Well, as we continue to look at the life of Jesus, it becomes very clear What's going on here? Jesus is flipping the script. Jesus is changing what really is going on. In fact, if we look throughout his life, upside down, uh, right side up is upside down, left is right, in is out. It's all, it seems like it all gets messed up with Jesus. The way the first century Jews thought stuff, their religion, their faith, their beliefs ought to be about. Because Jesus likes to flip the script. The first way that I see here that, that he's doing that is, is in when he asks John to baptize him. But John is doing what he's been called to do. John is ministering to the people he's been called to minister to. And yet when Jesus comes and says, Okay, John, you baptize me. He's forcing John to do something that he hadn't been doing. Or he's he's getting John to do something that he wouldn't think of. That he wasn't called to do necessarily. Because as I'm sure John the Baptist is thinking, this guy is the Son of God. He's our Lord. He's our Savior. He is the Christ. What the heck am I doing baptizing him? Yet that's exactly what Jesus asked. You know, there's other stories in the Bible about people who all of a sudden get called to do something else or get their lives turned upside down or whom God talks to and suddenly the script is flipped in their life. Take the Apostle Paul or Saul. We know his story, don't we? Persecuting the Christians, running after them. He went to Damascus to pursue the Christians. And then the Lord Jesus Christ caught up with him on the road. And he had his Damascus Road experience. Changed his life. He became, he went from a persecutor of Christians to one of the greatest missionaries in the Bible. One of the greatest missionaries history may know. If you want another example, look at the Old Testament back in uh, Judges. Gideon. He's a simple farmer In secret, he's threshing the wheat, I believe in a wine press, trying to stay away from the enemies of Israel. Then the angel of the Lord appears to him and says, Gideon, I've got a job for you. I've got something in mind that I want you to do. And we know the rest of the story, right? Gideon with 300 men, slow. Whoa, wow, I just messed that that up. (laughs) Slays an army of thousands. Because he listened to what God was telling him to do. You know, we have our ideas of what faith is about, don't we? We have ideas about what our calling, what our ministry, what our belief is all about. And yet many times we will find ourselves in situations where all of a sudden we're called to something different. We're called to something else. I've got my own story for that. Uh, I'm just curious. How many of you I know I know we've got a couple uh, on, on staff who are pastors' kids. Anybody in the congregation a pastor's kid? Anybody? No? One? Okay. Jeff, you were a pastor's kid? I did not know that. Wow, I did not know that. (laughs) Well, as I'm sure you know, as pastor's kids, we get the spotlight pretty good. I mean, that's just the nature of being a pastor's kid, is you get the spotlight. Well, as I'm sure David will tell you, when people start finding out that you've been called to the ministry, the spotlight gets even bigger. And when you start getting to that late teenage years, early college years, people start to ask you the questions. Well, what do you think you're going to do? It's all about what's God's will for your life? What are you going to do? Are you going to follow in your dad's footsteps? Or are you going to do something else? What is your calling? And you begin to get all those questions. And I got those questions. David, did you get those questions? You get those questions. It's just part of being a pastor's kid. I've been called to the ministry. And I would get those questions, especially when my dad moved to, his new ch- to his, uh, the church he just retired from right in the middle of my college years. And you had all these new people who didn't know me who were asking me, well, what are you going to be doing? And we'd have conversations about it. I'd tell them, well, you know, there's one thing I'm not going to do. Let me tell you right now. Never do this. What, I, what, I just, what I'm about to say. I said, I am never going to be a pastor. <laughs> you know? I am never going to be a pastor. There may be a hundred things for God, God for, that God has for me out there, but one thing—I and that was the only thing I told him I was not going to do. Never going to be a pastor. Where am I at right now? <laughs> never tell God you're not going to do something, because he very well may call you to that very thing. Because God flips the script. We may think that we know what we're called to. We even may think that we know what our faith is all about. What our life is all about. What our practice of our faith is all about. We may be one of those who lifts up this book and said this right here. This is who I am. These are the words that I follow. This is the person that I want to be. Now I want to warn you, you start saying that, you better be reading in here what is in here. Because you very well may be called to something that is not the greatest thing in the world that you want to do. In fact, that's kind of the next, or, or the, other, the other part of Jesus flipping the script. As he responds in verse 15 to John's remarks. Jesus said, Permit it, for in this way it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Now let me begin by saying I'm not going to try to get into all the theological ramifications and thoughts and ideas and concepts about what in the world Jesus was talking about when he said fulfilling all righteousness. I'll admit, at this point, I don't know. I have not done that research to figure out how that works The only thing I come up with is I know that that Matthew presents Jesus as the Messiah, as the fulfillment of the Messianic prophecies that the Jews of the first century would have understood and would have expected to come fulfilled at some point in their lifetime. That's a possibility. So it may be in the broader scope of those fulfillment. Outside of that, I don't have anything for you about that today. But what, what I do want to point out is that God will flip the script on us when it comes to our understanding of righteousness. Because maybe, just maybe, it's the slightest possibility that our understanding of righteousness is a little different from His. Just maybe, our understanding of our faith, of what it means to be a Christian, of what it means to act like a Christian, Maybe it's just a little bit different from what we think of. Just a little bit different from how we think. Because Jesus calls us not to some simple, easy, comfortable Christian lifestyle where we all get around in the campfire and sing kumbaya and hold hands and we're all nice to one another. Is that the life Jesus lived? I don't find any campfire stories in that Bible. Maybe I've missed one, but I do not find them in there. Now, Jesus calls us to something deeper, to something stronger, to something more radical, to something that costs us something, to something that, quite frankly, can be difficult And even in those difficult times, when we think that the world's against us, when we think we're having, that we're struggling, you know, we were just talking about this in Sunday school. Think about the folks, the Christians in Syria, in Iraq, Iran, China, who are under severe persecution, where they may go out, that they may leave their house that day and may not come back because they named the name. That's costing you something, let me tell you what. And they know that. Do you understand the cost? Maybe God wants to flip the script in your life and help you understand that, that maybe what you've been thinking all along is needs to be tweaked, needs to be changed, and sometimes needs to be thrown out, let's be honest. Sometimes we just need to throw a bunch of stuff out and put it and let God, let the Holy Spirit fill it. Throw out those preconceived notions and ideas of what it means to follow Christ and let the Holy Spirit speak into our hearts and let Him move us in the way we need to be moved. It's not an easy thing to do. It's not a comfortable thing to do. And yet I think that's a vital part who Jesus is. And I think that's why Jesus said this fulfills all righteousness because he's saying your righteousness, John, is not the same as mine. And he's probably saying it to me too. Matt, your righteousness is not the same as mine. So even though you may not understand it, Even though you may not be able to comprehend it right now, I'm calling you deeper. I'm calling you stronger. I'm calling you at a level that I want you to be at. And it's not where you're at right now. Because the Christian life is not a static one. It's not a plane. As in a flat piece of ground, not not, not an airplane. Christian life is one of growth, of journey, of relationships, of, as, as Paul says it, of being changed and being transformed from glory into more glory. From glory into glory. We are being trans. Formed into his very likeness. I want to give you a challenge today, and it relates to the Salvation Army concepts that uh, ideas that we've uh, talked about several times today. When you go home. And if you decide to take up this challenge, when you go home, I don't want you to go through the back of your closet. I don't want you to grab the leftovers, to grab the things that you never wear, because you're thinking that, well, maybe I can get into that dress one day if I just lose that weight. For me, it's the pants. I still have some 32 size pants Think I'm going to squeeze into them one of these days and I'm going to start exercising and getting on that treadmill and I don't think it's happening, let me tell you. My wife is too good of a cook. Too good of a baker. But if you go home and you want to be a part of helping the Salvation Army, go and get... I'm, I'm just going to lay it out here. Go and get your favorite article of clothing. The one that you wear all the time when you want to look good, when you want to feel good, when you want to put on your best, go and get that and give that to the Salvation Army. Do something that costs you something. Because when Jesus came to the earth, that is what He came for. That right there is why He came. And if you think that was a walk in the park, you better read your Bible. Because it just wasn't his death. He was utterly humiliated. He was cast out. He was denounced, denied, betrayed by his own followers. Yet he still came. Knowing it would cost. You know, there's a, one of my favorite passages of scriptures in the second chapter of Philippians. where where Paul says this. He says, Jesus did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. And what he meant by that was something to be grabbed hold of and used for his own purposes, his own power, his own desires, for whatever he wanted. He said, but no, he humbled himself, became a man, and he hung on that cross for you and me. He knew full well what He was getting into when He came down on this earth. He gave everything. So how is it any, how is it even difficult for us to give up our favorite article of clothing if Jesus gave it all? I mean, really? We're talking about a piece of clothing that will eventually rot away if left to its own. Jesus laid it on the line. For you. For you. For you. And you. And you. And you. So what is our response? how do we then live knowing what jesus did because when jesus just before jesus went up into heaven he said these words in the beginning of acts he said you will be my what who knows what it is witnesses you will be my witnesses not just in jerusalem not just in judea not just even samaria But to the ends of the earth, you're going to be my witnesses. And the world will know who I am through you. So that's the challenge I lay before you. When you go home and you look for things that you can give to the Salvation Army that will help those in need, give them your best. Give them something that will cost Something that will cost. If we do that, I truly believe that we are following in the path of Christ. As He came down and gave it his all, gave everything, so that all of you and all of you can receive the forgiveness for our sins have a relationship with a living and loving and gracious and holy God. And one day we will see our Savior face to face. Hallelujah, praise His name. Let's pray. God, we... God, I don't even like the sermon I just preached. I don't. I don't even like... The words that I said because it calls me to something more than I really want to give. But that's why I need you. That's why we need you here now, today, in this moment. We need you, Holy Spirit, to strengthen us, to convict us, To encourage us to move in our lives in such a way that we become the true and faithful witnesses that we have been called to be by you. And so help us as we deeply desire, we earnestly desire to be those witnesses. We want people to see Christ in us. Help us, God. Help us. Can't do it on our own. Only through your power and your presence can we really do.